Good morning. It is such a joy to speak with you all this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Trey Storr, and I have a great privilege to serve as your junior class chaplain. It's been such a privilege to serve this year, and I'm so excited to serve for the rest of the year. And I'm also extremely excited for the passage that God has for us this morning. So if you will, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. And as you turn there, I want to set the context for what has happened in Isaiah so far. For the first few chapters of this book, it is clear God's people are rebelling against him. The Lord is calling them out for their sin. In chapter one, he calls them an offspring of evildoers. And just before this in Isaiah five, he compares them to a vineyard that yields wild or sour grapes. They have not done what he has asked them to do. They have not produced the fruit that he desires. They're a disobedient people. And because of that, they are worthy to be destroyed. But God uses Isaiah six to reveal his character to his nation, Israel, and he uses it to reveal it to us as well. So let's begin reading, starting in verse one, partway into verse nine. The word of God says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go, let's pray. Father God, let us hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for you, to you we lift up our voices. Lord, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Teach us your way, O oh Lord, that we might walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Lord, as we open your word, I pray. May our hearts be moved. May our, our souls and our affections be towards you, Lord. May we be a people that sees your glory, that sees your grace and is willing to go wherever you call us, Lord. I love you so much. Thank you for being my king. Thank you for your grace. Lord, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. In the name of your son, amen. Glory, high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Glory, magnificence and great beauty. Very great praise, honor, and distinction bestowed by common consent. Glory, 
often used to describe the manifestation of a godly presence as perceived by humans. Someone worthy of great admiration, honor, and praise. Someone far above what is imaginable by finite creatures who is above all creation, science, and technology. Glory, a weight that overcomes us, a weight that brings us to our knees. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6 is often used to talk about ministry, repentance, or missions, but at its core, it is about God's glory. As we heard in chapel last week, and as John Piper writes in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. God's ultimate goal in all time is to bring himself glory because he is worthy of it. He desires our worship because he knows what's best for us. And what's best for us is to be on our hands and our knees praising our king. So this text at its core is about God's glory. However, as we will see this morning, God's glory leads us to action. God's character should lead us to go to the nations. Starting in in verse one of this text, God's glory is revealed to Isaiah for the first time. So look at verses one through five with me. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. The human eye cannot contain the glory of our God. In Acts 9, Paul sees Christ in all his glory and he falls over blind. In Revelation 1, the apostle John sees Jesus Christ and he fell at his feet as though dead. In Exodus 33:18, Moses said to the Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, you cannot see me and still live. The Lord could only tell Moses about his glory because Moses and man cannot stand to see him. And when Isaiah sees Christ's glory, he falls on his face in worship. He realizes his own weakness, his own fallenness, and he says, woe is me, for I am lost. He realizes his own weakness, he sees his own fallenness, and he sees God's incredible majesty. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Isaiah saw something that I hope we all see this morning, that there is a great distinction between man and our creator. We can't stand to be near him. We can't stand to be compared to him. We can't stand to look at him because he is glorious. He's far beyond what we can imagine. With a breath, he created the universe and with a breath, he could get rid of it. He is incredible, far beyond what we could ever think. And while I am weak and finite and sinful, while all of us are weak, our God is so much greater. I went to a large family gathering for Thanksgiving, and if I'm being honest, I only knew about half of the people there. 
maybe even less than half. I couldn't tell you their names, much less anyone's stories or what they do or any of their interests because I am a weak, forgetful person. I can't remember someone's name. Even now, if I could go, went and saw those same people, I could not tell you their names. But our God is so much greater than that. Our God knows our names. Our God loves us. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says this, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the strength of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So our God is glorious. He knows every angel, every sparrow, and every one of us by name. So while we are weak, while we are finite, while we are forgetful, he cares for us. He loves us. He knows exactly what attitude and baggage and brokenness each of us carry into this room today. And he cares for us because he is perfect and loving. He is glorious in every way. Our God, our God is glorious. And not only that, but he is gracious to us. Look at verses six and seven with me. Scripture says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. When Isaiah is weak and broken, God shows he is sufficient. When we stumble and fall and we prove that we are insufficient, Christ is sufficient and he has given us his grace. When our words and our actions fall short of God's glory, God touches our lips, which is a symbol of cleansing, and he redeems us. His loving kindness is enough for us. In Psalm 8, David asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? Lord, who am I that you would even look at me? Who am I that you even care about me? Yet a few lines later, he says, you have crowned him with glory and honor. Our God has given us glory and honor. Our God has provided a way so that we might see him and love him and be known by him. So for Isaiah, the Lord says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And for us, our sin has been atoned for, our guilt is taken away, and God has given us Christ's righteousness so that we might dwell in his glory forever. He has made a way so that we might fall on our faces saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. How beautiful is this? We will be like Christ because we will see him face to face just as he is. All of the glory, all of the beauty that was shown to Isaiah, we will someday see and we will get to fall on our knees and praise him. And one of my favorite lyrics ever, songwriter Jordan Howerton says, these hands have labored for the sin within me. Your hands were nailed to a tree. Your blood has set this captive free. My toil, my words, and my actions have all led towards a sum total of death. They've made me realize that I am lost and I am broken and I need a savior. But Christ's sacrifice has provided a way so that I might see him face to face and be freed from everything that I deal with on this earth. Christ's sacrifice has made a way so that I might enjoy his presence forever. 
Cedarville, how awesome is this? How beautiful is this? We have an incredible God. He is glorious and gracious. He has invited us to participate in his glory and grace. We might join in it and see it and, and have pleasure in it. He's far above what we could ask or think, and he's, his character outshines any other being in existence. He is beautiful. He is perfect. He is glorious. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is everything that we could ever want or need. Yet there are so many people on this earth who don't have access to him. And as a people who have seen God's glory, as a people who have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, and as a people who long to see Jesus face to face, God's character should lead us to go to the nations. Verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am send me. And he said, go. When I was a little younger, I had a conversation with someone in my life. And although it's quite a while later, it's a conversation that I still remember because I remember the fire that it lit in me. I simply asked him, what are your life goals? And I remember his response like it was yesterday. I remember what it did to me. I said, what are your life goals? And he said this. First, raise children that worship and praise King Jesus. Second, homeschool my kids and raise them up in the way which they should go. Third, own a business. And then this last one, establish generational wealth in my family. Establish generational wealth in my family. Cedarville, are we not made for more than that? There's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. I don't hate money. I wish I had more money. I go to Cedarville. <laughs> but, so there, there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. But dear friends, we are created for so much more than accumulating worldly things. If only our eyes would be riveted with the glory of our God, if we could see God for who he truly is, then all of our money, our achievements, our degrees, our accomplishments would be nothing. If we truly saw God's glory, everything that we have would just be a tool so that we, we could use it so that others could hear God's glory. What if we used all of our things, all of our money, all of our possessions, all of our experiences for Christ's glory? Aren't we made for more than a, com a comfortable lifestyle and gaining wealth for the next 50 years? Shouldn't we live a life for more people than just ourselves? Aren't we meant to walk in obedience and make disciples of all nations as our Lord commanded us? Who shall we send and who will go for us? There are 7,246 people groups in our world that are considered unreached. 42.4% of the world population has no access to a single Christian near them. Out of 7,000 languages in our world, less than 10% have the entire Bible. And these aren't just stats, they are broken, sinful people like me and you. People with unclean lips, as Isaiah says. People who are longing for hope, longing for something greater than themselves, and they need to see Jesus Christ for who he is. 
They need to know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. Who shall we send and who will go for us? Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a campus that went to the nations for God's glory? Could God use us to glorify his name among the nations? How many souls could he bring to himself? How many people groups would hear of Jesus Christ? How many languages would have scripture if only we were a university that prayed, here I am, send me. Think of the great things God would do. Think of the great things God wants to do if only we would leave our comfort and go to the nations. And listen, no one is making you go. No one is making me go. In fact, we need people to send missionaries. We do need people to make money and to support missionaries. We need people to be praying for missionaries. So we, no one is making you go. But I believe the application of this text is simple. What if we just prayed, here I am, send me? What if every day, we set an alarm on our phones or we wrote it on our mirror or we left a note in our Bible and we just prayed, here I am, send me. Lord, lead me to where you want me to go. Lord, open my eyes that I might see where you could use me. Lord, make me obedient to go wherever you might lead me. And as we pray this prayer, why don't we be willing to go wherever that may take us? whether that's to the ends of the earth or whether that's our hometown or Cedarville, Ohio or wherever the Lord might lead us. Here I am, Lord, send me. And I'm sure there are many people in here wondering, as I've wondered for so long and something that I still struggle with today, can I have a successful ministry overseas? Can I be successful as a missionary? Can I be successful if I pray, here I am, send me? What if I participate in God's global mission? What if I leave my comfort and I don't see a single soul come to know Jesus Christ as Lord? Or what if God could use me to have a successful ministry here in the States? And listen, that is something that I struggle with every day. I think about all the time. But when I struggle with that and when I ask myself those questions, the first passage I turn to is Isaiah 6. Because in the second half of this chapter, God shows us that he does not measure ministry the same way we do. Isaiah is preaching to a nation that won't listen to him. The rest of this text says that Isaiah's teaching actually leads Israel away from God. Every time he preaches God's glory, they turn further and further away. But God isn't asking Isaiah for a successful ministry. God's not asking him to save anyone. He's not asking us to save anyone. He's not asking us to do anything crazy. He's simply asking for obedience. He's simply asking for a people that prays, here I am, send me. He's asking for a people that sees his glory and his grace and a people who is willing to respond, a people who is willing to obey and a people who trusts in him to do the rest. So in response to God's glory and grace, he's asking for our obedience. And I'm sure there are also some people in here wondering, what about persecution? What about suffering? What about this great fear that I have in my heart 
And that is something that I struggle with too. That is something that I experience every day. And that's why I brought some boxes this morning because I wanna illustrate the fact that Jesus Christ is with us. This box right here represents our life in this world. I wrote you on it because I didn't feel like writing my own name, but this could say Trey Store. This could say anyone else's name. It represents our life in this world. Our life as we live on mission, our life as we pray, here I am, send me, this is us. And as we go to the nations, we might remind, we, we, we might remind ourselves, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. There are people ready to attack. There is a lion and Satan ready to devour. Matthew 10, 17, men will deliver you over to courts and flog you for my name's sake. That's what Jesus says. But also, as we are willing to go and as we step out of our comfort, we are reminded in places like Romans 8, 9, and Romans 8, 26, Ephesians 4, 30, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and many other places that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So not only do we step out of our comfort on our own, but we step out with the Holy Spirit inside of us, leading us, guiding us, interceding on our behalf. We don't go alone. And what about Matthew 10, 21? where Jesus says that brother will deliver brother over to death and fathers will deliver their children to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. What about that? Well, Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Romans 8.1 that we are in Christ. So not only would we go to the nations with the Holy Spirit inside of us and interceding for us and leading us, but we go with Christ guiding us and Christ protecting us. We go led by our King, the glorious one, Jesus Christ. Or what about in Matthew 10, 25, when Jesus says, if they have called me Beelzebul, if they have called me Satan, how much more will they persecute you? How much more will they afflict those? How much more will they afflict you than they have afflicted your King? Well, Paul says in Colossians 3, 3, that Christ is in God the Father. So not only do we go to the nations with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and not only do we go with Jesus Christ leading us and guiding us, but we also go with God the Father leading us and guiding us. So yes, anyone who goes to the nations will experience persecution and fear and suffering, but that is what the devil is going through to get to you. The Holy Spirit is with us, Jesus Christ is with us, and God the Father is with us. Yes, we will be attacked with swords and spears and potentially much, much worse, but we enter the mission field with the glorious, gracious, almighty King Jesus. God's character should lead us to go to the nations. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I love you. 
Thank you this morning for an opportunity to open your text. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, your people, Lord. Thank you for being a God who is glorious and gracious beyond what we can imagine. Lord, you are so good. And I pray that our hearts would ache for those who do not see how good you are. I pray that our hearts would ache for those who have never seen you and will never see you unless we go to them. So Lord, I pray this morning, here we are, send us, Lord. Take us to the least reached places. Help us to glorify Christ in a place where his name has not yet been known. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who doubts. I pray that, that, that you would remind us, Lord, that it is not in us that our ministry is done, but our ministry is done through you, Lord. You are the one who does all the work and we simply need to obey. I pray that we would have confidence that you are with us because, Lord, the devil cannot touch us because you are with us, Lord. And even if the devil touches us, it is for your glory because we go with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father, and with Jesus Christ, Lord. God, I pray for anyone that you might lead to stay here, to be a sender, Lord. And I pray that you would strengthen them as well, Lord. But I also ask that even those who stay would be, would be willing to pray, here I am, send me. Because Lord, we must go where you are calling us. I love you so much. And I thank you for the opportunity to read your word. And I pray all of these things in your son's glorious and gracious name. Amen.